Hello again, welcome to Covenant Presbyterian Church. A special uh, greetings to those of you who are viewing uh, through our live stream. Uh, uh, grace and blessings to you as well. We're looking this morning at Mark chapter 5, beginning at verse 21. It is a long passage, could not find a way to make this shorter. So we'll be looking at 23 verses. Now, little theologians, there's a few of you out there, if you could be thinking about these 23 verses all being about one thing, Jesus is walking from one point to another. 23 verses, but really Jesus is just going from a boat to a bedroom. From a boat to a bedroom. You'll hear that in this passage. Uh, before we uh, read the passage together, however, let's uh, join our hearts in prayer. Would you please pray with me? Father, you know how to care for us, and your word tells us that your word is our life. Moses says, this is your life. Father, would you forgive us for taking it lightly? Would you work in our hearts right now that we uh, would uh, treat it reverently, to sit before it and to listen and submit? We pray, Father, that you would cause our affection for your word to grow and grow and grow. Do this by your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said, our passage is a lengthy one. It begins in Mark chapter 5 at uh, verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side... A great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. 
They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement, and he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of our Lord. So it's a lengthy passage, isn't it? But sometimes in lengthy passages, the obvious goes unnoticed. And I want you to notice a couple of things here that you uh, may not have been paying attention to. I want you to notice, first of all, that the disciples seem to be neutralized in this passage. 23, 23 verses, but actually very little about the disciples. They're quiet, nearly invisible. You almost have to go backwards to see what kind of emotional state the disciples would be in when this scene unfolds before us. And we go back in chapter 4 and we remember that the disciples were filled with great fear after Jesus had calmed the storm. And we go back to Mark chapter 5, uh, earlier in the chapter, and we would assume that they are marveling at what Jesus did when he uh, cast the demons into the 2,000 pigs that then uh, ran into the water, filled with fear, marveling. But really, the last time that we heard the disciples speak was actually not a very favorable moment for them, was it? When they were speaking, they were speaking to Jesus, and they're actually angry with Jesus because he was sleeping. He roused him to wake up. And they say, Jesus, don't you know we're dying? And really, the, the appeal was, Jesus, wake up. You don't care for us. That's the last time we heard the disciples speak, but they do speak, uh, don't they, here in verse 31. But really, that's uh, almost a, uh, the kind of comment that is uh, a little uh, humorous, actually. Jesus is asking, who touched me? And the crowd throngs around him. The disciples say, are you serious? Who touched you? Who hasn't touched you? In this passage, the disciples seem to be neutralized quiet and invisible, but not Jesus. The passage really is just about Jesus. Did you notice that? There's something else in the passage as well. We're told twice that there's a great crowd. The, the crowd's all over this passage. Uh, the crowd gathers around Jesus. The crowd follows Jesus. Uh, the crowd in verse 24 actually throngs about him. And we even see that there's a crowd in the house of Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue. There there are crowds everywhere. But really, the crowds themselves are neutralized as well. Just as the disciples are quiet, so too is the crowd pushed to the side so that two individuals stand out to us. Jairus and this ill woman. And really what you have in this scene of 23 verses is you have Jesus and two people. 
And if you wanted to go a bit further and say, well, what is it about these two people that really uh, unites them? The people really couldn't be any more different, Jairus and this uh, ill woman. Uh, what's really similar, what makes these two people uh, come together as one, is that both of them are hopelessly, hopelessly desperate. 23 verses. But when you notice what I've just asked you to notice, the, the, the 23 begin to shrink down and we see Jesus caring for two hopelessly desperate individuals. In many ways, the scene couldn't be more clear. I've said a long time ago that the theme uh, passage for Mark's gospel is Mark chapter 10, verse 45. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the theme verse for Mark's gospel, 1045. And in this passage, what we see is we see Jesus serving people, but uh, really what we're learning is we're learning uh, what kinds of people Jesus has come to serve. And the kind of people are those who are hopelessly desperate. And there you see what this passage is about. Jesus, he cares for the hopelessly desperate. Well, I want us to look at this by beginning, first of all, at the, the care that Jesus has for one daughter and then the care that Jesus has for another daughter. And then I want to finish by asking the question, how far will Jesus go to care for the hopelessly desperate? Let's begin where Mark begins, the care of Jesus for a daughter. This is the daughter of Jairus. What I'll be saying here is that uh, in this care for Jairus' daughter, we find that uh, Jesus cares by being responsive and accommodating and persistent. I'm going to uh, offer those three words uh, a few more times during the sermon. We have this single uh, movement, as I already said. Jesus, he is in the boat in verse 21 and then beside the sea, and then he uh, travels uh, with uh, Jairus. So this is presumably in the city of Capernaum. And so he is going from a boat to a seashore uh, through a portion of the city that they might come to a neighborhood, to a house. And verse 40 says that he went in where the child was. We don't know exactly uh, where that is, perhaps not a bedroom, but you get that singular movement right to the side of a child's bed. You might ask, why? Why is Jesus doing this? Now, Jairus, he's a ruler of a synagogue. He's a Jewish man. He's likely uh, wealthy, certainly uh, well-known. He would be a person that would uh, be uh, a leading citizen. He's the ruler of the synagogue. And he may very well have known who Jesus was. Jesus perhaps has already preached in the synagogue that is ruled by uh, Jairus. You know, chronology is rather difficult in Mark's gospel. But really what Mark wants us to know about this Jairus is that uh, though he is an upstanding a citizen, a leader respected by many, here he is well, he's profoundly desperate. And he falls at Jesus' feet and he implores Jesus uh, earnestly. An interesting detail. No one doubts his earnestness, his sincerity in verse 23. He implores Jesus. Now here we have a grown man uh, showing not merely his desperation, but his great affection for his little girl who's 12 years old. 
And verse 23 says that she may die at the age of 12 because she is at uh, very much the point of death. And just as we too might have compassion for uh, Jairus uh, enduring such a situation, what we need to understand is that Jairus is a man of means, but here he is at his wit's end. In fact, we uh, see uh, that he is at his wit's end later on in the passage in verse 36 when uh, Jesus has to actually look at Jairus and speak to him individually and say, don't fear, only believe. Uh, Jairus is a fragile man. And why is Jesus walking with him? Well, Jesus, Jesus cares. Notice that Jesus is immediately responsive to Jairus. There's no evidence in this passage that Jesus planned to visit the home of Jairus. This passage feels very much like an interruption. But Jesus, he's responsive. He stops in verse 24, he even goes with him. Uh, we uh, have in our minds this picture of Jesus walking side by side with Jairus. He's responsive to the needs of Jairus, but at the same time, he's accommodating to him. Again, jumping ahead in verse 35, Jesus, he, he overhears the report from home that the little girl has died, and Jesus knows that the father uh, would be heartbroken by that news, and Jesus comforts him. He says, don't fear, believe. Jesus is accommodating to the hurt of Jairus' heart. And Jesus is also persistent. It's so interesting that Mark gives us the detail of the crowd without giving us the words of the crowd. The crowd almost has this power to suffocate, to throng about. And, and here, uh, Jesus is uh, persisting through this crowd that he might make it to the home of Jairus. Jairus doubts, but Jesus in his persistence encourages him. And then finally in verse 40, the very members of Jairus' household laugh at Jesus, ridicule him, scorn him he doesn't stop. Jesus is persistent in his care, responsive and accommodating, and persistent is the care of this Jesus. You know, Christianity today is about this very same Jesus. Jesus, he responds to the world's need by coming to us, being born, assuming flesh, assuming our nature. Jesus, he comes and he accommodates to us by speaking to us, making himself known. He didn't do that just in his uh, ministry of life prior to his resurrection. He does that today. He is speaking to the world in the life of his followers in the church, and he persists. There will never be a moment that Jesus is not spoken of on earth in this present age. The church, she will not go quietly. Do you really hope that? It's Jesus and his persistence, the proclamation of the gospel is the church's life and business right up to the second coming. This is what Christianity is about. A Jesus whose care is responsive and accommodating and persistent. How far do you think that this Jesus will go? You have to hold on. You can't get an answer to that question yet. How far will he go? First, someone else comes onto the scene of the passage. And we've seen Jesus show his care for uh, one daughter, the daughter of Jairus, and here is Jesus' care for another daughter. A woman appears from the crowd in verse 25. 
And then in two verses, we learn so much about her, don't we? Just look at what we learn about this woman in very sparse words. She has a discharge of blood for about 12 years, some kind of chronic hemorrhaging, and we don't know much about this. Some, some commentators suspect that uh, she had a baby that died, and she has been bleeding from the womb for 12 years. So Mark's very clear. He wants us to know that she has suffered much And she suffered under many physicians. The kind of people who should be useful and helpful have been neither. One commentator says that there is uh, actually uh, a portion of the Jewish Midrash commentary uh, on the uh, Hebrew scriptures that offers some advice of what a woman like this would be recommended. That she perhaps would drink a goblet of wine uh, that is filled with powder that comes from rubber and alum and crocuses. Uh, That she would uh, drink uh, and consume uh, a wine that is filled with Persian uh, onions while she is making a summons arise out of your flow of blood, uh, that uh, she might carry the ash of an ostrich egg in a certain cloth and that might bring her health. This sounds ridiculous, but this woman is serious. She's taken the advice of many. In fact, we're told, aren't we, that she has spent all that she has. If she was wealthy at one point, she's wealthy no more. And if we could take no more of this news... Mark tells us she's getting worse. Did you catch that there's a couple of things that she does have? It's not much, but she has a couple of things. Verse 27, notice what she has. She's heard the reports about Jesus. It's not much, perhaps, but she has that floating in her mind. She's heard the reports about Jesus. She has something else, we're told by Mark. Verse 28, she's not only heard the reports about Jesus, but she actually believes the reports about Jesus. She has faith as well. It's interesting that verse 28 would actually be in the first person. We actually have a quote of hers. Her thoughts are being revealed to us. If I touch even his garments, I'll be made well. well that's an interesting tidbit of information to have access to, isn't it? She has the word, and she has belief, and they seem so very, very small, particularly in light of her desperate circumstances. But everything that she is doing in this passage is about what she has heard about Jesus and what she believes about Jesus. And when she touches Jesus, verse 30 tells us that Jesus perceives in himself that power has gone out from him. Unique expression only shows up here in the Bible. Perhaps the best way to understand what what is meant by Jesus perceiving in himself that power has gone out from him is that this is God operating through his means, Jesus Christ. When we think of power, we think of the power of God. And the power that God has for this woman is the kind of power that only comes through Jesus. What God has for her, well, it goes through Jesus and no other. But Jesus, of course... Remember, he is accommodating, isn't he? Jesus, in verse 34, he translates and he calls her to himself and he tells her what's happened. And he calls her this one word. 
We're prepared for the word because we've heard about Jairus's little daughter. Jesus in verse 34, he looks at her and he defines exactly who she is. This is what has happened. This is who you now are. You are daughter. Now what Jesus means in verse 34 is that she is God's daughter. She's not an orphan, but she once was. The piles seem to, or the, the trouble seems to pile higher and higher in this poor woman's life. If she thinks she has a, a medical condition that has uh, no possible uh, hope, but Jesus says, no, you're actually unreconciled to God until verse 34. Now you're his daughter, adopted by him. And Jesus goes on to say how this has happened. Your faith in me, your faith in me has made you well. And go back to what we've already learned about Jairus and uh, Jesus' care. Jesus' care is responsive. He stops for Jairus. He does the same thing here, doesn't he? He stops for this woman. And Jesus is accommodating to Jairus. And here, Jesus is accommodating to this woman. He instructs her, tells her what's happened, reminds her who she is in this new state of existence. In fact, verse 33, uh, Jesus listens to her as she tells him the whole truth. Imagine that. In this moment, throng of crowds around him. In verse 33, I want you to see the picture of Jesus listening to her as she tells him the whole truth. And then finally, Jesus, he's persistent, isn't he? He looked for her, and then he sends her off with peace and assurance. She, she can go in confidence because of what Jesus has done. His care is persistent. But what this care does is this care actually unites her to God. Now, I'm leaving out a detail that I want to mention later. But just take this in. The care that Jesus has is a care that's responsive and accommodating and persistent. And we've seen it with Jairus. We're going to see more. And we've seen it with this woman. But I think we should be asking, how far will Jesus go? How far will he go to help you? How far will he go to help me? We kind of pick up where we left off in verse 35. There's this message that comes from the home. Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the leader any further? This afternoon, look at verse 35 and verse 34 together. They're remarkably different. I mean, in verse 34, Jesus has just used the word daughter to describe reconciliation with God, a peace and healing. And then in verse 35, your daughter is dead. And Jesus uh, has uh, just comforted uh, uh, Jairus by uh, being responsive to his needs and accommodating and persistent. And yet here we have this troubling news that the daughter, she's dead. <laughs> Why trouble the teacher? Look what Jesus has done already. And he goes to the bedroom and it's filled with mourners. The funeral seems to be underway. That is rather quick planning. But there's a commotion of people weeping and wailing loudly, verse 38 says. And in verse 40, even though they're weeping and wailing, they stop. What do they stop to do? Exactly what weeping and wailing people do, right? They laugh. Now consider verse 38 and verse 40. Weeping and wailing to be sure, they, they have plenty of time to deride Jesus, to laugh at him. You know, this kind of insincerity is the kind of insincerity Jesus will experience again his last week on earth. During that time, praise will be followed by cheers of crucify him, crucify him. 
Jesus will be surrounded with ridicule and scorn as he's hung upon the cross. And Jesus will know this feeling often. And Jesus, he clears the house, and so that we have just the parents, and we have Peter, James, and John together. Uh, Why those three will come up again um, in about four chapters in Mark's gospel. But there's five people that Jesus gathers around him in this room himself, and then, well, someone who's dead. And now Jesus shows just how far he'll go. You remember the woman who was bleeding for 12 years, right? Did you know this? That Leviticus 15 says that of all of her days of bleeding, she's actually unclean. If someone won't stop bleeding, they will always be unclean. Forever unclean was this woman. You see how the troubles pile up. She's hopelessly desperate. She's forever bleeding, and she's forever unclean, and she's forever separated from others, and she's forever defiling to the temple, and she's forever in need of atonement. Really, that woman who is bleeding, you want to know what she's really like? She's like the dead 12-year-old girl laying before Jesus and the parents and the three disciples. That's really what that woman was like. Her uncleanness was powerful enough to make Jesus unclean. That's how dead she was. But Jesus perceived in himself that power left him. Her uncleanness was supposed to make Jesus unclean, but it didn't. And instead, his cleanness poured into her. And she's no longer forever unclean separated, defiling, and in the need of atonement. No longer. The cleanness of Jesus poured into her. And Jairus' daughter is dead, and so Leviticus 22 says that touching a dead body makes that person unclean. But just as what happened with the woman, so too does it happen with this 12-year-old girl. Jesus, when he touches her, doesn't need to be washed doesn't need to be separated from the temple. No one in the room does. Jesus, he reaches out his hand and he touches her. Ah, how far will Jesus go in his care? His care is responsive and accommodating and so persistent. Jesus was willing to take one daughter's defilement and he was willing to take one daughter's death. This is really the point of Christianity. It's what this passage tells us about who we are as Christian people. Jesus, he came to serve us by giving himself for us, not just by caring for us in a care that is responsive and accommodating and persistent, by caring for us with a care that is the willingness to taste the rejection of the Father, the willingness to die for us. This is Christianity, and here we are on Communion Sunday, and we're about to come to this table, and this is what we need to remember as Christians. This is his care, had you forgotten. Yes, responsive, accommodating, and persistent, but even to the point of tasting the rejection of the Father, even to the point of dying for a punishment that he didn't deserve. You did, and
and I did. And so this morning, I'd like for us as Christians to come to this table knowing that he does care for us, that we are without him desperately, desperately hopeless. But he has cared for us. He has purchased us. And in place of your desperate hopelessness, well, you have reconciliation with God, not just today, but for all eternity. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, or if you're listening and you're not a believer, you need to understand that Jesus is caring, that that care is a responsive and accommodating and persistent care, and he is calling to you. Are you willing to listen to this care? As he calls to you in the life of the church, are you listening He actually is willing to hear your objections. He is willing to make himself known to you more and more. Don't think that your objections are the kinds of objections that no one has ever had in the history of the world. Jesus is accommodating, speaks to us in a way we understand, shows himself true in the life of God's people. He's making himself known to you. And he is persistent He will continue to make himself known to you right up to your point of death. But you don't know when that will be. Listen to Jesus. He's responsive and accommodating and persistent. Now is the time to hear. And now is the time to believe. Well, as we prepare to come to this uh, table to taste that care of Jesus in his death for the church, would you please join me in prayer? Our Father, thank you for uh, coming to us in Christ Jesus and showing us your care for us in the life and ministry and work of Jesus. Uh, Father, we pray that you would strengthen your children through this reminder of his care. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would uh, make those who are not your children mindful of this Jesus. This is how you care. Would they hear and believe? In your name, Jesus, we come. Amen.